would encourage you to take a copy of God's Word and turn over to Hebrews chapter 6. Hebrews chapter 6, we're going to find the theme verse for this series. And my hope and my prayer and my desire, I'll for that word into the mix this morning, is that you would always bring your copy of God's Word. Yes, we provide a copy of God's Word in the pew in front of you, but we hope you will always bring your copy of God's Word. For a number of reasons, first of all, we want you to see what Scripture says. Don't just take my word for it. And here's why. I am human and I will make mistakes. And trust me, for the days over, I'll probably mispronounce a word or two, so we're just going to throw that in there for good measure. But here's why else I want you to bring a copy of God's Word. Because there are times you're going to see something you want to make a highlight or mark in your Bible. That's great. We want you to do it in your Bible, not in the pew Bible in front of you. Because we want you to go back later in the week and continue to look at what we've talked about. That's why we put the, the outline in the bulletin. And I've heard many of you share with me over these last number of years how you go back there in the week and look at that outline. And that just reminds you and encourages you what we have studied in God's Word. And we've been working through this series titled Anchor. And it's finding God's, finding assurance rather, in God's promises. Because we learned last week and we were reminded that God is a promise keeper. He doesn't break his promises. He keeps his word. But the theme for this series comes from Hebrews chapter 6 verse 19. And it was that reminder we had two weeks ago. And the scripture says this hope we have as an anchor of the soul both sure and steadfast. And yet it's only half of that verse but there's so much truth in that verse. This hope we have, this hope that is found through Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, this hope that we have is sure and it is steadfast. It doesn't waver, it doesn't change, it doesn't move. That's what we learned two weeks ago. Last week, we were reminded of the necessity of having a firm and secure hold on this anchor of hope. You saw in your outline this morning the title of the message is When the Storm Comes. And here's the reality, church, and here's the first thought in your outline this morning. It's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when those storms are coming. Storms aren't an if, they are a matter of when. Because they are coming. Whether you're ready for it or not, the storms in our lives are coming. The storm is coming. Now, there are times we can see the storm approaching. I found this picture online, and you see the storm starting to roll in. And I don't know about you, but that scares me right there. I like thunder and I like lightning, but I'm not a fan when it starts getting stronger and stronger. But here we see the storm coming. Now, there are times we have been told for the last week that it's going to be cold this weekend. They have been reminding us and reminding us this weather pattern is moving in. So we've been able to kind of prepare. And there are times we can prepare for certain storms in our lives. When a hurricane is coming, the evidence that a hurricane is coming is you go to the grocery store and all the red milk is gone. Even in South Georgia. But what about the storms we don't see? What about the storms that we're not anticipating? Those pop-ups. The ones when you get to work and suddenly you find out that you no longer have a job. What about when you go to visit the doctor's office for what you think is a routine checkup and they say we need to run more tests? 
What about when the family gets together and the parent says, we need to sit down and talk? There are all types of storms we're going to run into. And how we face those storms says a lot about our walk with Christ. How we face and handle those storms say a lot about our relationships with Jesus Christ. And when I think about the storms that come in life, and I think about the boats that are in the middle of the ocean, you know they have put down that anchor. And that anchor is secure on the bottom of the seafloor. And those who are sitting on that boat know that the boat's not going anywhere because the anchor is secure. And for the life of me, I can't imagine getting on a boat without an anchor. That doesn't make any sense. Because without an anchor, you continue to float in different directions. Without an anchor, the wind is literally going to physically move you from different points. But how many of us in our lives are going around without an anchor? We're just floating through life. We're just letting the wind carry us where we want. We let life carry us every direction. There are some who may not see a need for an anchor. I don't need an anchor. I've already got my life kind of figured out. And my life's pretty easy. I don't have to plan for anything. And I don't think about hardships. I don't think about suffering. But I remind you that the storms are coming. And we can be as prepared and ready as we want to be. But the storms are coming. So when the storm comes, how are you going to handle it? I'm thankful that Jesus reminds us of how to handle the storms. Take your copy of God's word and turn over to Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7. Last week we looked at chapter 6 for just a moment. And we, earlier, late last year rather, we worked through the Sermon on the Mount. Which is the most famous sermon Jesus preached. And there's so much that we unpacked in Matthew 5, 6, and 7. And Jesus is kind of wrapping up this message when we get to chapter 7. And he's kind of putting an exclamation point on everything that he has shared to those who are listening. For hundreds and thousands of years, this section of scripture has been scrutinized. It's been picked apart. It's, books have been written on it. And there are so many different conclusions that are in this passage of scripture. But look with me in Matthew 7, starting in verse 24. Verse 24, look what Jesus is saying to specifically, he's talking to his disciples, but there is a crowd listening as well. But Jesus is talking specifically in Matthew 5, 6, and 7 to followers, to disciples of his. And he says, starting in verse 24, Therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, I will liken him to a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain descended, and the floods came, and the wind blew and beat on the house, and it did not fall. For it was founded on the rock. But everyone who hears these sayings of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And when the rain descended, and the floods came, and the wind blew and beat on that house, it fell, and great was its fall. Jesus is reminding us in this passage of scripture, there are two foundations to build your life on. There are two foundations that are going to help you with every storm that comes in life, with every challenge, with every task that comes ahead of you. The choices are simple. And I don't know about you, but I like simple. Either build it on a solid foundation, that solid rock, 
are built on a foundation that could give way. That is the two choices in this passage of scripture. He compares two builders. He says there's one who builds on a solid rock and one who builds on sinking sand. So this morning, here's my question. The storm is coming. The storm is on its way. What's your foundation? Is your foundation the solid rock found only in a relationship with Jesus Christ or is it found on the sand? Which leads us to this first thought this morning. You and I have to make a choice. We have to make a choice. Either I trust the Father and the Son or I don't trust the Father and the Son. Either I'm going to obey God's word or not obey God's word. Those are the choices. And here is the reality. The reality is simply this. We listen a lot to God's word. We just don't act on it a whole lot. We will hear Sunday school lessons. We will hear sermons preached. And we will hear God's word proclaimed. We don't do anything with it. It's kind of the, my mother used to tell me things going one area out the other. We do that with sermons. We do that with Sunday school lessons. We sometimes do that with our devotional time. We get through a devotional time just to get through it, mark it off, and then go to whatever we have going on. We're not spending time listening and obeying. There's a commentary writer, A.T. Robertson, who, who wrote a book called Word Pictures in the New Testament. He said this, Hearing a sermon is a dangerous business if one does not put them into practice. I can listen to all the best sermons. Technology is so cool. I can listen to the greats. I can listen to Adrian Rogers all day long. I can listen to Billy Graham. I can even go back further and further and further. To listen to one of my favorites, A.W. Tozer. But if I just listen to those messages, I don't gain anything from it. If I just listen to it, I'm on sinking sand. I'm not allowing that word to penetrate my heart. I'm not allowing that word to make a difference in my life. Jesus is standing on the side of the hill in Galilee. There are his disciples. There are others who are listening to his word being proclaimed. But did you catch what he said in chapter 7, verse 24? And he says it again in verse 26. But in 24, he says, Therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them. Then down in verse 26, But everyone who hears these sayings of mine and does not do them. Here is what we are being reminded of this morning in Scripture. And here's what Jesus is telling us ultimately in these verses of chapter 7. We've got to hear and respond to his teachings. Yes, we have to hear, but we have to respond to what God is telling us through his word. Listen, it's easy enough to listen. Man, I listened to a lot of stuff in high school I do not remember. I didn't let it sink in. I didn't apply it. 
But we're just as guilty of doing that when we're in Sunday school, when we're in worship. Think about this also. Twelve disciples followed Jesus. And we know there was one who wasn't listening. There was one who was not obeying. There was one who was not putting into practice what they had learned. I remind you this morning that grace is a process. Sanctification is a process. Those of you who know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, you've already been justified because you've accepted the free gift of salvation, but now you're going through sanctification. And it's a process. You're growing in your walk, and the hope is you're growing on a daily basis. So you choose to be like that wise builder who built his home on a solid foundation. He built his home on the rock. Or you can choose to be like the one who was foolish and build your life on the sand. And eventually it erodes away and the house comes tumbling down. So which foundation do you want to be on when the storm comes? Do you want to be on that solid rock? Do you want to be on that sinking sand? Because when the storm comes, not if, but when the storm comes, is your hope firm and secure in Jesus Christ? Because here's the thing, here's the best part of this. If you know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, and you are standing firm on that assurance, you are standing firm on that solid rock, when the storm does come, whether you see it or don't see it, here is the reminder. And it leads us to our second point this morning. You and I who are standing on the solid rock are sufficiently supplied. That means you've got everything you need to get through the storm. You have everything that you will ever need to get through that storm. There is a beauty, listen very carefully, there is a beauty and a freedom when you and I are secure and have a life anchored with Jesus Christ. There's a beauty and there's a freedom. Does that mean I don't worry? No. But I'm reminded of who's in control. Who is walking next to me, helping me get through this storm? The Apostle Paul is one of those who understood the beauty and understood the freedom of living a life anchored in Christ. He says over Philippians chapter 4, verse 11, I have learned to be content whatever the circumstance. Are there days you can't say that? Are there days you struggle as a child of God to say, you know what, I am content in every circumstance? Because life is hard. Life is challenging. So what happens when the storm pops up? Let me show you what happened when a storm popped up in Paul's life. Take your copy of God's Word this morning. We're going to spend a lot of time in Acts chapter 27. Acts 27. Acts 27, starting in verse 1. And it was decided that we should set sail for Italy. They delivered Paul and some other prisoners to one named Julius, a centurion of the Augustan regiment. So the entire ship of Adraminium, we put to sea, meaning to sail along the coast of Asia, 
Artaeus, a Macedonian of Thessalonica, was with us. The next day we landed in Sidon, and Julius treated Paul kindly and gave him liberty to go to his friends and receive care. And we put out to sea, from there we sailed under the shelter of Cyprus because the wind was contrary. And when we sailed over the sea, which is off Sicilia and Pamphylia, we came to Myra, the city of Lycia. When the centurion found an Alexandrian ship sailing to Italy, he put us on board. And when we had sailed slowly many days and arrived in difficulty off of Nidus, the wind not permitted us to proceed, we sailed under the shelter of Crete off of Siloam. Passing it with difficulty, we came to a place called Fairhaven near the city of Lycia. And when much time had been spent sailing and now dangerous because the fast was already over, Paul advised them. Listen carefully to verses 10 and 11. Say, men, I perceive that this voyage will end with disaster and much loss, not only of the cargo and ship, but also our lives. Nevertheless, the centurion was more persuaded by the helmsman and the owner of the ship than by the things spoken by Paul. Paul is a prisoner being sent to Italy to go to Rome and stand before Caesar. There are some exchanges taking place. We get down to verse 9 because the wind has become dangerous. In the New King James translation, it says that it was dangerous because of the fast. That is talking about the Day of Atonement, which takes place around September to, or early October. So we know the weather starts changing September, October. We start moving into fall. And the wind has become contrary. The wind has become difficult. Sailing has become a challenge. Now listen to what Paul says. Now I remind you this morning, Paul is not a sailor. Paul's not even a fisherman. Paul, as his ministry and his trade, he is a tent maker. He makes tents for a living. But yet he is going to talk to those in charge and look at his words in verse, in verse 10. Men, I perceive that this voyage will end with disaster and much loss, not only of the cargo and the ship, but also our lives. Nevertheless, the centurion. Now remember the centurion. His name is Julius. Now remember what we know about Julius. Jump back up to verse 3. The latter part of verse 3 tells us that Julius treated Paul kindly and gave him liberty to go to his friend and receive care. Julius didn't keep Paul in locks in a stock. He let him roam freely around the ship, going to his friend and getting the care he needed. The centurion knows who Paul is or he wouldn't give him the liberty. Yet hearing the words from Paul saying, listen, we shouldn't go. It's going to be bad. We're going to lose everything. Ship, cargo, and even our lives. The centurion goes to who? In verse 11, he goes to the helmsman and the owner. Now, if I'm going to talk to someone about a boat, do I go to the tent maker or do I go to the guy driving the boat? I go to the guy driving the boat when he shouldn't know what he's doing. But here's Paul. He's trying to share with them. He's trying to warn them. He is trying to say, listen, this is going to be dangerous. Yet they choose not to listen to him. Paul's not saying, listen, the disaster might come. Say, listen, a disaster is coming. We're going to lose everything. 
Yet they choose not to listen to this man. The helmsman probably thinking, listen, I've been doing sailing boats for years. You, you make tents for a living. I know what I'm doing. The owner of the boat says, I trust the guy driving it better than I do the tent maker. How many times do we listen to words of wisdom and choose to ignore them? How many times do we hear things in our life that can better us than choose not to listen? When I think about this little encounter found in verses 10 and 11, I'm reminded of what it says over in Proverbs chapter 29, verse 1. Whoever remains stiff-necked after many rebukes will suddenly be destroyed without remedy. That's over in Proverbs 29, verse 1. So here's some thoughts when I think about this interaction, when I think about that verse. Why are we so stubborn to wisdom of others? Why are we so stubborn when those who come ahead of us try to give us godly wisdom, godly advice? Why don't we build our homes on the rock? Why do we choose to keep building them on the sand? When I look at this little encounter, I think, about why is it the centurion not listening to Paul? He obviously knows who he is. Or he wouldn't give him the freedom he has on this boat. But yet the centurion chooses to listen to the one driving it and the one who owns it. But we continue. Look with me in verse 13. When the south wind blew softly, supposing that they had obtained their desire, putting out to sea, they sailed close to Crete. But not long after, a tempestuous headwind arose called a, a Euclidean, which means a means a northeastern. And why they just didn't write northeastern in the Bible, I don't know. Some of you caught that. You listening. So when the ship was caught and could not head into the wind, we let her drive. You know what that means? They let go and let it go. No one's steering the boat now. They just let it drive. And so now the storm is letting that boat go any direction it wants to. And running under the shelter, verse 16, of an island called Claudia, we secured the skiff with difficulty. When they had taken it on board, they used cables to undergird the ship, fearing lest they should run aground on the Sartre sand, and they struck sail, and we were driven. And because we were exceedingly tempest-tossed the next day, they lightened the ship. On the third day, we threw the ship's tackle overboard with our hands. Now when neither sun nor star appeared for many days, and no small tempest beat on us, all hope that we would be saved was finally given up. They have been in the storm, not for one day, two days, but many days, and the ship's getting tossed back and forth. They are literally lighting, lightening the boat, throwing things overboard to make the boat sail a little bit higher so it won't run on the ground. They're doing everything they can, and it is not working. We're going to take it a step further, verse 21. But after a long abstinence from food, then Paul stood in the midst of them saying, Men, you should have listened to me and not sailed from Crete and incurred this disaster and lost. Now listen, Paul's not standing up there and going, I told you so. He's not going, Nanny, Nanny, boo, boo, you're in trouble. But he's pointing out the obvious. And I can imagine Paul going, should have listened. Should have listened. But look what he does next. He doesn't stand in the soapbox and say, listen, I knew what I was talking about, and y'all are just stubborn. 
Y'all won't listen, so God's going to get you. No, look what he says in the next verse. And we see God working here. He says in verse 22, Now I urge you to take heart, for there will be no loss of life among you, but only the ship. Now I don't know if I'm encouraged, but I have hope. For there stood by me this night an angel of God, of whom I belong, whom I serve, saying, do not be afraid, Paul. You must be brought before Caesar. And indeed, God has granted you all those who sail with you. Therefore, take heart, men. For I believe that God, that it will be as just as it was told to me. However, we must run aground on a certain island. Now, when the 14th night had come... As we were driven up and down the Adriatic Sea about midnight, the sailors sensed that they were drawing near to some land. Did you catch how many nights the storm has been going on now? Fourteen nights. Fourteen nights. Listen, we lose our minds if we're cooped up in our house for 24 hours in a rainstorm. And we really lose our minds when it goes to 48 hours. And by 72 hours, all the snacks are gone, and you're just not talking to nobody. 14 nights they're going through this storm. 14 nights they're wondering if they're ever going to see the sun shine again, if the seas are ever going to become calm. Paul is standing up in the midst of a storm saying, listen, God is in control. God has this. God has told me that every one of you are going to survive, but we got to wreck the ship. But God is sufficiently supplying for these men on this boat. He is sufficiently supplying for Paul in the midst of this storm. Verse 28, he took soundings and found it to be 20 fathoms. And they went a little further. They took soundings again and found it to be 15 fathoms. Then, fearing lest we should run aground on the rocks, they dropped four anchors from the stern and prayed for the day to come. And as the sailors were seeking to escape from the ship when they had let down the skiffs into the sea under the pretense of putting out anchors from the prow, Paul said to the centurion and the soldiers, unless these men stay on the ship, you cannot be saved. Paul had already said, listen, no one on the ship is going to die. The ship's not going to make it, but no one's going to lose their life they are so caught up in the storm. They are making plans for themselves. Paul has to go to Centurion and say, listen, no man can leave the ship. Now the Centurion is listening. Now the Centurion is listening because it says in that next verse, verse 32, then the soldiers cut away the ropes and the skiff and let it fall. And as the day was about to dawn, Paul implored them all to take food, saying, today is the 14th day. You have waited and continued without food and eaten nothing. Therefore, I urge you to take nourishment, for this is for your survival, since not a hair will fall from your head, but any of you. And when he had said these things, he took bread and gave thanks to God in the presence of them all. And when they had broken it, they began to eat. And they were all encouraged and took food for themselves. And in all, we were 266 persons on the ship. 266 individuals were on the ship. They've been riding on the storm for 14 days. 
They haven't eaten. They've taken a, a fast because they think this will, this will satisfy whatever belief they have. And Paul says, eat. So they, no one's going to lose a hair in the head. You're all going to make it. And it says that they were encouraged back in verse 36. Verse 38, when they had eaten enough, they lightened the ship and threw out the, threw out the wheat into the sea. And it was day they did not recognize the land, but they observed a bay with a beach onto which they planned to run the ship if possible. Then they let go the anchors and left them in the sea, meanwhile loosening the rudder ropes, and they hoisted the mainsail to the wind and made for shore. But striking a place where the two seas met, they ran the ship aground, and the prow sank fast and remained immovable, but the stern was being broken up by the violence of the waves. Verse 42. And the soldiers' plan was to kill the prisoners, lest any of them should swim away and escape. But the centurion, wanting to save Paul, here's our friend Julius at home, wanting to save Paul, kept them from their purpose and commanded that those who could swim should jump overboard first and get to land. And the rest, some on boards and some on parts of the ship. So it was they all escaped safely to land. All 276 individuals made it to land. They survived the storm. The ship didn't survive. We just read that. But they survived the storm. Paul knew what was going to happen. Paul had his faith secure on a solid rock. And they make it to shore. But it doesn't end here. Because who are we talking about? We're talking about Paul. Paul, one of the greatest evangelists. The one who was called to share the good news of Jesus Christ. In the good times and the bad times. Look with me starting in verse 28. In chapter 28, right there. Now when they escaped, they found out that the island was called Malta. And the natives showed unusual kindness, for they kindled a fire and made us all welcome because the rain was falling because of the cold. These people on this island didn't know who they were, but they were trying to help them. It says they showed kindness. They built a fire for them. But then watch what happens next. But when Paul had gathered a bundle of sticks and laid them on the fire, a viper, a viper came out because of the heat and fastened on his hand. Now, I want to promise you this morning, there's not a snake picture going to pop up on the screen behind us. Even though I was tempted, man, I was so tempted. But here's the picture. Paul has put wood in the fire and this viper, which is known as the most poisonous snake in the world, comes out of the fire and literally has latched onto his hand. Now, my father had a philosophy on snakes. I don't necessarily agree with it 100%, but he had a good philosophy. Only good snakes are dead snakes. That's his philosophy. Some snakes help and some snakes are bad. Vipers are bad. But it is now holding on to Paul's hand and has a grip on it. Look what happens next. This is, this is the beauty of God. This is the beauty of the gospel and the beauty of what happens when we see God working in the life of someone who is walking with him. Because it says, verse 4, So when the natives saw the creature hanging 
from his hand, they said to one another, No doubt this man is a murderer, whom, though he has escaped the sea, yet justice does not allow him to live. But he shook off the creature into the fire and suffered no harm. Then Nahum said, Man, this is a bad dude. He's being judged. Paul just takes his name and does this. Paul's not concerned. The natives have made an assumption about a man they do not know. Verse 6, however, they were expecting that he would soon swell up or suddenly fall down dead. But after they looked for a long time and saw no harm come to him, they changed their minds and said that he was a god. He's not a god, but he's walking with God. And now Paul has an opportunity. Paul has an amazing opportunity because the people have witnessed Paul be bit by this poison snake and nothing's happened. Nothing's happened. He didn't die. He didn't swell up. Nothing has happened to Paul. But look what happens next in the scripture. Verse 7. And in that region, there was an estate of the leading citizen of the island, his name was Publius, who received us and entertained us courteously for three days. Verse 8, and when it happened, the father of Publius lay sick of a fever and dysentery. Paul went to him and prayed, and he laid hands on him and was healed. And so when this was done, the rest of those on the island who had diseases also came and were healed. They also honored us in many ways, and when we departed, they provided such things as were necessary. Paul goes from being shipwrecked to now having a healing ministry on the island. This island he's never heard of. He is praying over people who are sick and they are being healed. Why? Because they recognize that Paul is walking with God. They recognize that Paul is anchored to Jesus. These islanders recognize this in Paul. They see this after he survives that snake bite. After they see the healing of this man's father, they realize that God is doing wondrous things through and in him. And did you see what they did? Verse 10. Verse 10. They also honored us in many ways. And when we departed, they provided such things as were necessary. Through this passage, listen carefully, through this passage, we see what happened when you made a choice to build your home, your life on Jesus. When you build your home and life on Jesus, you see God working in you and through you. What we see is we see what comes from a life that is firm and secure anchored to Jesus Christ. So we look at this lengthy chapter and a half. What are the takeaways? There are three very quickly, and here they are. Number one, Paul was completely content through the violent storm, the shipwreck, and being stranded. Paul's content. Never do we hear Paul say, woe is me. In fact, he kind of takes it on stride. Just another day for me. It's nothing big. I can handle it. Why? Because I'm with and walking with God. Never does Paul complain about his plans being ruined. He doesn't complain through the process because he's trusting God. Number two, Paul took advantage of the time he had on Malta. On this island for three months, he got to preach the gospel. It's Paul. 
You think Paul's not going to preach the gospel? You know he was living it on that ship. Now he gets to proclaim it to these people on this island he's never been to before. And lives are being changed. And after three months, their situation and the way they were treated was different. Him sharing the gospel did not become a hindrance. Him sharing the gospel did not become a difficulty. And here's the amazing thing. Number three, God supplied through the people of Malta everything the crew needed. They had food, a place to stay. They got a new ship and the provisions for their journey. How? Because we know we serve a God who works all things together for his good and for him to be glorified. Through the storms, through the shipwrecks, through the snake bites, through the suffering of life, you and I can trust that God will be faithful. Because you're going to experience storms, you're going to experience shipwrecks. You may, in a way, experience a snake bite. Not literally, at least I hope not. But you might experience something in a form of a spiritual snake bite. You might experience suffering. But you can trust that God is faithful. Why? Because he works all things to his glory and his purpose. So when the storm comes, and the storm is coming, will you choose him? Will you choose his ways above all others? Will you be stiff-necked, or will you rejoice in wisdom? Listen, you don't know where the journey is going to take you. Paul had no idea that he'd be in the middle of a storm for 14 days. He knew the storm was coming. Paul didn't know he'd be on an island for three months, but he used that opportunity to share in fellowship with people. For you and for me, we are going to face a storm. It's not a matter of if, it is a matter of when. And when it comes, will you be ready? Will you be firm? Will you be secure? Again, I can't imagine a boat leaving a dock without an anchor. A way to secure itself to be ready for whatever it may face. And here's one more reminder. It's not in your bulletin. It's going to be on the screen behind you. We think about everything Paul's gone through. We think about this reminder of being secured on solid ground or being on sinking sand. My encouragement for you this morning is to choose him over any other thing, even if it sounds good and sounds like a secure option. Because apart from Jesus, anything you pick to be secure, anything that you put your hope in, it will fail. It won't last. The one certainty you have is you have a father in heaven who loved you enough to send his son to die for your sins and raise from the dead. Here is the assurance you and I have. When things are great, Jesus is with me. When things are horrible and I am in the middle of the storm, Jesus is still with me. He hasn't forgotten about me. He hasn't left me. He isn't sitting on the side saying, hey, Chuck, good luck. He is with me every step of the way. But there is a catch there is a catch. It goes back to what we were told back in Matthew chapter 7. Am I building my life on a solid rock? Am I building it on sinking sand? And here's the thought. Here it is. Am I trusting and obeying? 
Have I really made the decision to follow Jesus as Lord and Savior? Or am I only listening to the message, but not acting on the message? Every head bowed and every eye closed. This morning, this morning, there are some of you going through a storm. Some of you have gotten through it. Some of you are in the middle of it. And some of you see one on the horizon. You know that you're in it or it's coming. So here's the question this morning. What is your foundation in the storm? Have you placed your hope securely in Jesus Christ? Are you trusting him? Are you obeying him? Or are you like the man who Jesus said, build his house in the sand? When the storm came, the house fell. Because his hope wasn't secure, it wasn't steadfast. Hebrews chapter 6, verse 19 says, this hope we have is an anchor sure and secure. As you have been going through the storm, or as you know the storm is coming, are you holding on to the anchor? Are you trusting Jesus with everything you have because you know him and have a relationship with him? Can you say like Paul, in the midst of that storm for 14 days, can you say like Paul, listen, God's got this. God's got it. Because I believe in him, I'm trusting him. I'm holding on to that anchor that is sure and secure. Paul says that because he decided to follow Jesus on that road to Damascus. And yes, we read that account and we see the significance and the evidence of that account. But for you and for me, we've had that same experience. For many in this room, there was a day you decided to follow Jesus. But for some this morning, you've never made that decision. This morning, there are some of you who are building on sinking sand because you've never accepted Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. But today, you can change that. There are others here this morning who are going through the storm, or they know the storm's coming, but they have forgotten to grab their anchor. They have forgotten to secure themselves with Jesus to help them get through the storm. This morning, you take hold of that anchor as a reminder that you made that decision years ago to follow Jesus. I don't know what you need to do this morning. But in a moment, we're going to stand and sing a song that is a reminder for me of the decision we made. But are we still holding on to that truth? Are we reminding ourselves that we made the decision, there's no turning back? Have we made the decision to follow him knowing that the world will not go with us? So what is your foundation? Father God, as we move to a time of response, a time of invitation. Father, I pray for those, encourage those this morning who are standing on the solid rock. But I pray for those who are feeling sinking sand. But I also pray for those who 
had once built on a foundation, but they're not secured on that foundation anymore. They're moving over to a foundation that's going to fail them and let them in. Father, as we sing this hymn, speak to our hearts as individuals. And Father, move us as we need to be moved. We pray this in your Son's name. Amen. Let's all stand.